Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back here once again to remind you about the benefits of the Dunlap Champions Club. If you haven't sampled it still, well, find one of your friends or somebody that has. Uh, you know, the spring game in the rearview mirror. Certainly uh, some other folks got an opportunity in there to enjoy what is uh, just terrific space. Every now and then when you're hanging out in the Dunlap Champions Club, an MC Hammer concert breaks out, too, so you never know what you're going to get. And if you haven't had the opportunity to even be there, you can schedule a private tour. Just call 850-644-1830. Tickets are available. It's a, it's a home schedule that uh, you'll enjoy visiting there, and particularly if we get any of those noon, noon kickoffs, you'll be air-conditioned and ready to go. Well, that is a good point. I just, in general, I didn't want to have a noon kickoff conversation, but I get your point. And the home schedule, of course, includes Miami, NC State, Louisville, Syracuse, uh, whatever it is, 644-1830, the number to call or, or, or go online, seminoles.com uh, slash tickets, and check out the Dunlap Champions Club. And we really like them because they allow us to then put this on the podcast, and it's without commercial interruption. Is that how we say it? This being Front Row Knowles. Take it away. Good day, everybody. It is Tom and Keith, Front Row Knowles, coming to you from Charlotte and ACC kickoff. KJ, how are you? Doing well, doing well. It's nice to be back up here. It's nice to uh, do something formally that gets football season going. I'm not sure how much meat actually comes out of this. I feel like every year these media days, it's uh, it's a little less meat maybe. But it is a chance to uh, reacquaint network with lots of folks that we've known all the year over the years and more than that it just is a it's a marker on the calendar that indicates football season is coming quickly i always look forward to and we'll talk about this a little bit uh, but uh, the commissioner's address if you will the the state of the conference or whatever they call it uh, commissioner forum i think is what it's known as officially uh, but there's always some little something in there that uh, comes out that uh, is interesting and of interest and obviously the big topic uh, right now is the launch of the acc network didn't get a lot of um, monumental insight, but uh, some, as you like to call it, some in-the-weed stuff, i.e. introducing the uh, uh, the broadcast teams and the uh, studio folks and, and Florida State uh, represented, ACC from a prior player and coach standpoint represented, and it's always good to see that component of it as well. Let's set the menu for you for today. So in the next segment, we'll uh, talk in-depth about Florida State's contingent and the takeaways there with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnevelt. Uh, Marvin Wilson was here, uh, Tamari and Terry, and obviously Coach Taggart. So we'll, we'll address that. In our, in our third segment, we will get into the weeds about the ACC network in terms of programming. But let's at least... Because the bulk of the commissioner's forum was in regard to the ACC network today, they had several representatives from ESPN who outlined, uh, we, we've known that it was going to launch on August 22nd. Now we know it's going to launch at 7 p.m. on August 22nd. With a two-hour special. With, with a two-hour special. And uh, they also announced that, you know, the, the college game day, for lack of a better, better term, that the college football preview show for the ACC is actually going to be a Friday evening thing, and they'll have an additional Saturday show. They announced the uh, the 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 broadcast crews for the ACC Network broadcast. But I think what people are really most interested in is, is distribution. And I maybe uh, fueled this a little bit. I, I expected there to be another announcement today about distribution, a small one to be fair. I thought we might hear that, you know, Carrier X had signed. 
is in pretty good shape from a distribution standpoint right now, understanding that you do have to get some big dominoes to fall in the next month or so? Uh, if you, depending on w- which article you read and whose calculator you want to believe, uh, the carriage, uh, the way we count it today, uh, in terms of subscribers is plus or minus about 30 million. I think the goal, uh, is plus or minus about 50 million. Uh, to get to 50 million, there's two main players, Comcast, which obviously affects Tallahassee, and then the uh, predominant car- carrier in the Carolinas, which has 11 or 12 uh, million subscribers. Most people think that that carrier in the Carolinas will fall in line very quickly because obviously that's, you talk about the footprint of the ACC, well that that is the fingerprint of the ACC. And uh, the Comcast deal depending on who you talk to. Uh, they'll remind you that back in 2014, 2015, whenever it was, when the SEC network uh, was launched, Comcast was one of the last players to sign up for that, literally just a couple of weeks before the air date. So uh, there's a lot of optimism. Uh, the ACC uh, didn't have uh, the big announcement that, that Mr. Block was anticipating, although ESPN personnel said there will be some form of a big announcement next week, but they didn't elaborate on that. But it was during the program session, so I'm thinking it's got something to do with what's going to be on air as opposed to the number of people that have access to the network. Yeah, I tend to think that as well. It was interesting. They had a whole forum. They had all the media here, and they used it as an opportunity to tease there's a big announcement coming next week. Save I don't, the date. Save the date. I don't know if that's a would be a carriage deal or a programming announcement. Let me. So first of all, and this gets into the weeds a little bit, but if you're in Tallahassee listening to this show, or if you subscribe to Comcast, wherever you're listening, as of right now, you're not going to get the ACC network unless a deal is struck. Through Comcast. Through Comcast. And, and let me, there's been lots of questions about, well, I could still log in online and see it. The answer to that is no, you can't. So if you're in Tallahassee and Comcast doesn't come get to a deal, you're going to have to go to DirecTV or Hulu, or Sony PlayStation View, I think is what it is. There are some other options out there, but basically you're going to have to cut the cord. I'm trying to find uh, some information, and this came out earlier this week. David Glenn, who's, if you followed the ACC at all, uh, he's been well plugged into the media, hosts a hugely popular talk show in the Raleigh-Durham area. I didn't realize he was also working for The Athletic, which is a subscription service. If you're familiar with it, and David Glenn, he wrote the most comprehensive article about where the ACC network stands that I've seen, and he wrote it earlier this week, so go look at it. But here's some here's the takeaways. One, they are ahead of schedule in terms of distribution co- relative to when other networks launched. Now, they announced it three years ago, so that they should be a little bit ahead of schedule. When the ACC network launches, they will have more subscription subscribers day one than the Pac-12 has currently on its network in year seven. pac 12s at 19 million. ACC net, you mentioned the number, probably about 30 million right now. Comcast is 21 million homes. That's a lot of dollars to get that deal done. The uh, And that one, in my opinion, that might drag on a little bit, and that is why ESPN strategically has... FSU in Virginia, the state of Virginia is heavily Comcast. That game is only available on the ACC network. So you're going to have two states riled up if they don't have a distribution deal by then. Yeah, exactly, and and uh, ESPN knows how to play the game. The ACC is learning how to play the game, and that's that's one of the ways you play it. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, the, the next big carrier is is the one in the Carolinas that that uh, you know the big four uh, have the ability to sway. Uh, and you put those two together, and that that distribution is up around sixty sixty five million if both of those players come on board prior to August twenty second. Yeah, and that's charter, and I do think the charter deal will get done because there will be so much pressure from the original uh, 
ACC members, ACC member institutions, the big four in the state of North Carolina. All right. Keith and I could talk a lot about distribution and ACC network. Here's what people really care about. What does it mean from a, from a wallet standpoint, from a budget standpoint for FSU? And the answer right now is we don't know because those numbers will be based ultimately on distribution. Today was the first day that I heard Commissioner Swafford say that it's going to be a three-year process publicly say that to get everybody in alignment. So what does that mean? Uh, you know, when the SEC launched, they had a, a big windfall the first year and then incrementally the second and third year. It sounds like this is liable to be incremental, incremental, incremental. When all is said and done, I do still think that the ACC and the SEC distributions will be comparable, and I'm not saying equal, but the gap will be, you know, right now, SEC schools are getting $44 million, ACC schools got $30 million. You fast forward three years, and I'm just making up numbers, I think that gap might be 55 to 47 or something that's a lot more reasonable and maybe it won't go that high once once this network's distributed well and there was talk also amongst folks that uh, the sec payout moving forward may start to dip as a result of the cord cutting that we have talked about on this show and obviously our listeners are, are aware of in that this last payout by the SEC may be its largest and they start backing up a little bit not predicting that that's accurate that was just the conversations that were going on so the whole thing is they like to say is still very fluid and how it's going to work out uh, if we knew the answer I'm sure the ACC would pay us good money to reveal, reveal it to them well and the $64,000 question and nobody's going to answer this is how much are you getting per subscriber and again we're, we're way in the weeds on this today but I'll, I'll use round figures there's there's four or five networks that exist that get a dollar per month per subscriber ESPN ESPN2 uh, I think FS1 a handful of them so if the ACC network distribution deals get done we don't know are you getting 75 cents you're getting 50 cents, 25 cents, and we're never really going to know that until the tax returns come out and we see what the distribution is, and then people will extrapolate and do the math. So, all right, enough about the ACC network for now. We will focus more on it in the third segment, more about the programming piece. The other takeaway, and it's, I do find it interesting, we've, we've been coming to this for years, Keith, and this forum used to really be a chance for Swafford to say all these great things about the ACC because nobody nationally was paying any attention to him. So he would show up and say, the ACC won six bowl games last year. That's more than any other league. Now the ACC is at a point where it's kind of an afterthought, and he just kind of ho-hums mentions the ACC's won three of the last six college football national championships. That's more than any other league. The ACC's won three of the last five basketball championships. That's more than any other league, uh, which does speak to the fact that the ACC, as a conference, and I know this is not the conference that beats the ACC drum the way the other league beats the SEC drum, it's gotten pretty competitive and pretty strong. Very much so. Very much so. In fact, for the second time in three years, you have the men's basketball and football champion in the same conference. Two of the last three years that's happened in the ACC, it's only happened four times in the history of the NCAA. So you're, you're riding some pretty high cotton. And in fact, although the, the uh, quote-unquote minor sports, Olympic sports, non-revenue generating sports, whatever you want to call them, uh, there were actually six national champions uh, within the uh, ACC in the last uh, academic year. That's a pretty phenomenal figure as well. Anything else? Just general overview. Clemson obviously is king, and they're walking around like kings here today. Uh, but you know that Florida State is not far removed from being in that 
position. The question we all want to know is, well, when are they going to be back in that position? <laughs> well, I think Marvin Wilson uh, summed it up best uh, when he said, uh, they were talking about, what did you learn from Clemson or something like that? And he says, it really doesn't matter. We have to win. And that's the bottom line. That is the bottom line. ACC kickoff going on in Charlotte. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us momentarily. I will remind you that you uh, should head on down to College Town and uh, stop in at Madison Social. What's today? Is today the 17th? Is today Reuben Day? I've lost track. I think today is Reuben Day. Red alert, Reuben Day. The, 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 the place is still open, so you can get over there and get your Reuben fill if they got any left. Anyway, we appreciate their longtime support of this program, and our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt joins us next segment. on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we are in Charlotte, ACC kickoff, and our, we're joined now by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, and uh, he's live and in person. We don't even need the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, though I will remind you, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, general impressions from Florida State's uh, appearance on the media junket, if you will, tonight? You know, it's kind of a smorgasbord for Florida State. A lot of questions, particularly from non-local media about last year and what went wrong and what Florida State uh, – plans to have go right this year and why they're confident that it will go that way but a lot of other things too lots of questions about different position groups certainly questions about the uh, the, the the staff changes the offense coordinator offensive line receivers coach questions about quarterbacks and where that that sort of thing stands and you know not a ton of i would consider really news like heartbreaking news but but plenty of sort of little interesting morsels and nuggets uh, around the program that i think can maybe tie people over until the start of camp in a couple weeks so several observations and we'll, we'll get into these first on the quarterback front coach Taggart was asked about the waiver situation for Jordan Travis there's no news there I think at this point we have to assume that he's not going to be eligible this year but I, I will point out this, that's just an assumption on my part once the NCAA makes a determination if they do deem that he is eligible in their eyes the conference still has to vet it and say are we going to let this happen and in uh, uh, division in conference transfer so that's on the back burner. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see some resolution on it, given how long they've had that. So let's talk about the guys that are in play, and that's Blackman and, and Hornibrook. And, and so two takeaways there, and I'll, I'll let you weigh in. But this came from all the players and Coach Taggart, and I've heard it elsewhere as well. Hornibrook has not come in assuming that he's going to be holding a clipboard. He's come in, and he has really worked to, to network and meet his teammates. Everybody says he's in the film room or the weight room 24-7. Uh, that said, and, and Willie painted it as a competition, the best guy will win, but it does it does seem, and this is your term, like James Blackman maybe is in the pole position right now. Yeah, I think that's fair to say, just given his level of experience and familiarity with Florida State and his teammates and the offense. I know there was the, you know, the coaching change and different coordinators and whatnot, but I still think you know he has maybe a better understanding of, of the situation uh, than Alex Hornibrook does, but I agree with you completely. Uh, you know, the, the folks who think that it's, you know, uh, a done deal and this is all lip service in terms of a competition or whatever, I just don't get that mindset. Uh, and I think in terms of uh, 
just look across the landscape of, of college football, the, the senior transfer quarterback has become a regular occurrence. So we've seen it at Florida State in both directions and you know, across the country. You know, those guys don't come to places where they don't think they're going to start. I mean, the whole point of this is a senior quarterback coming to a place where he think he thinks he can uh, improve his position. I think if, if, if Alex Hornibrook wasn't planning on being a starting quarterback somewhere this year, he'd be in Wisconsin right now. You know what I mean? So and that's not to say it's going to work out the way he wants it to, but I promise you he thinks he's going to win the starting job, and, and, and you want him to, don't you? I mean, what's the, what's the point of any of this if, if he doesn't feel that way? Uh, so, you know, to me there's no surprise whatsoever that a, a multi-year starter on a quality Big Ten team uh, comes in and knows how to handle himself, knows how to endear himself to his teammates, knows how to become a part of something. And to me, whether or not it works out uh, in terms of him being the starting quarterback or not, or at least you know being the starting quarterback uh, come the, the season opener, I don't see how that's anything other than a good thing for Florida State uh, to have a, a player like that who who knows how to carry himself uh, as a quarterback. And you know, look, man, I mean. Look at the way things have gone for Florida State the last couple of years uh, at the quarterback position. You know, ideally, you would name a starter. That guy would be great and healthy and play all 12 games and beyond, and, and you wouldn't have a need for another capable quarterback on the roster. But reality suggests uh, that that's just not the case uh, more often than not, or you know, a lot of the time. So uh, to me, it's a good situation for Florida State. I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes. I do think that you know James Blackman probably – has a, a bit of a head start, as he should. He should have a head start. Uh, but the idea that, that it's just a, a, a competition in name only, I don't, I don't buy that for a second. A lot of the media here, Tim, uh, away from Florida State, constantly asking uh, Coach Taggart and the players, you know, what, what was 2018 like? How does it feel to lose the bowl streak? What was it like to have a losing season? And to a, to a person and almost to a T in terms of their uh, – responses it's all been we've forgotten about that yeah. we're not paying attention to 2018 we're focused on 2019 I did find it one little interesting thing as I was listening to Marvin in the in the breakout uh, they were talking about the Clemson game he says I, I still remember that feeling so they may be blocking out the reality of it but uh, how it made them feel and what motivates them to work harder this year I think does continue on yeah, I think that's probably fair. You know, and, and you're right. I've heard the exact same thing. Is uh, you know Willie Taggart's line in his press conference was, "We don't talk about it unless we're asked about it," meaning the 2018 season. Okay, and I and I agree, and, and I, I I think that's actually probably a healthy way to uh, to approach it. It's not like you know, we're not talking about breaking down film of a loss. I don't know that there's a lot constructive to be gained from dwelling uh, or wallowing in that 2018 season, but. Uh, the, also, the other fact of the matter is, uh, and Keith, you kind of alluded to this, uh, I mean, this event right now, I mean, it's very Clemson-focused, and justifiably so. They're the, the bell of the ball right now with the national titles and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I get it. Um, but, you know, you guys, uh, we, we've, we've been coming to these things for a while now. It wasn't all that long ago uh, that Florida State was in that position, right? Uh, the same kind of thing. And those roles are reversed quickly. Uh, and so I think for Florida State, more than any other program in the Atlantic Coast Conference, seeing this sort of dynamic at play with Clemson, um, it, it, it just it's noticeable. It sticks with you. It maybe you know, kind of rubs you the wrong way might be a charitable way to describe it. And so I think you can tie that in 
with the 2018 season and heck for that matter also the 2017 season and and, and beyond though with the success that Florida State has had um and say yeah man there's motivation when you lose like you did to to Clemson last year knowing they're where you want to be man I mean as a competitor I don't know how uh it couldn't motivate you and you know, obviously there are you know other programs here that that, that Florida State you know, will be looking to sort of exact a measure of revenge against uh, this year but but you know to me it's you know the ACC for the last decade if not more you know it's it's Florida State it's Clemson and right now Clemson has a lot of the cards in its hand and and Florida State's not going to get to where it wants to go without beating Clemson without getting back to that level and so to me you know how does that does that tie in with with the 2018 season does that tie in with the bull streak and I, I think it's all kind of one big picture that shows that you know Florida State is not where it wants to be. Uh, those guys clearly, to me, believe they're on the right track, uh, but they also know that you know. I mean, Marvin Wilson was asked, uh, you know, how do you change it? How do you define getting back to there? And he says, we got to win. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, that's we, we can kind of break it down and get on the ins and outs, but you know, you're either going to win games and you're going to get where you want to be, or you're not, and you're going to keep trying. Let's talk about the players that were here. First of all, Marvin Wilson was, uh, he represented himself very well, uh, sort of holding court. Uh, both guys looked dapper. Coach Taggart, though, really talked about the leadership he's seeing from Marvin. And I'll just lump both players into this. Uh, in terms of where they're, they're striving to make improvement, I heard Terry talk about uh, on-field type stuff in terms of release and high-pointing the ball and, and those type things, which I'm sure Ron Dugans has brought to the conversation. But uh, Marvin talked more about the mental aspect and watching more film and being able to diagnose a play sooner. Um, those were kind of my two takeaways, just listening to those two. Yeah, I thought Marvin's uh, answer was really good about that because, I mean, obviously the physical aspects of things, he's he's a pretty impressive uh, physical football player. But you know, the things he mentioned, uh, like you, you said, were, you know, noticing the formation immediately, picking up what it is, knowing a team's tendency, what they like to do out of a certain formation that you know because you've studied their film and you've studied uh, you know, the, the game plan about them, uh, looking to see where, you know, do they have an all-star running back? Well, where is he? Do they have a great receiver? Where is he? Even obviously, you know, Marvin Wilson isn't going to be running downfield with a receiver, but knowing where that receiver is or, you know, knowing the look in his eye, whatever, can give you an edge, can give you an advantage. And, you know, what's fascinating about Marvin to me, uh, and what I'll be curious to see this fall, is you know he's such a good player, uh, a legitimate All-American candidate, if not for you know bigger awards than that. Um, and you know we've seen the kind of success that he's had, but he's also played on defensive lines with a first-round pick and Brian Burns and another NFL draft pick and Demarcus Christmas, and he gave those guys a ton of credit for his development and, and teaching him how to work hard, teaching him you know what to do and, and how to be a successful college football defensive lineman. Well, those guys are gone now. So now that, you know, it's the, the natural way of things in college football. Now Marvin, as a junior, is going to be called upon to do that. One, to, to take his game to the next level because you have to uh, maybe not replace the production of, of those guys, but you know, account for it and, and, and sort of lift that ship up a little bit. But then you also have to do the same thing with the younger defensive linemen on the roster. And Florida State's got a lot of them. And, and he's going to have to do for them what Brian Burns and DeMarcus Christmas did for him. And, you know, I asked Willie Taggart about that in the breakout session. And, it, you know, from the sounds of things, he is embracing that role um, just to the nth degree. You know, he said it's not just 
defensive linemen out there. They said Marvin's staying on top of the defensive linemen, offensive linemen, skill position guys. You know, he's got them working out together, running stadium steps on days when they don't have to be, you know, that's their, their day off, but they want to keep on getting after it, getting working. And Marvin, it sounds like, is kind of the the, the focal point of all that. And, and it's easy to see why, you know, when you talk to him. I mean, he is a bright, engaging, uh, fun guy to talk to, uh, you know, and given that he's, you know, 310 pounds or what have you, he's, he probably, uh, you know, his words carry a lot of weight, uh, so to speak. Nobody's mouthing off to him if, uh, if he wants to get everybody together for a workout. Marvin told a story in the breakout about uh, mouthing off to Coach Bryles uh, when he first got there during the spring, and it was a small crossing pattern or something, and, and Marvin got in and got the sack or disrupted it, said something to Coach Bryles, and the next call was an 80-yard touchdown pass to Tamarian. And Bryles says, don't mess with me basically. Uh, and I thought that was kind of enlightening because um, there, there's a coach on the offensive side sending a message to a defensive player about mutual respect. And Marvin took it that way and said, uh, you know, I'll pay attention to that going forward. I thought that was a little bit of an insight. Well, and let me add, and I heard Terry say when he was asked about Bryles, you know, in the context of what has he brought, what does he bring, and he said he brings the swag, which you can take that a lot of different ways, but I took it as, as sort of a cockiness or a, certainly a confidence uh, that this offense is going to succeed, and it's it's to your point as well. Well, and, and I, and I will, you know, you bounce around, so I didn't actually hear that story. I remember that for the first time. One, that's pretty cool. Two, big picture, I really like the idea of an offense coordinator who can uh, – can have you know a, a play go for negative yardage in one play and say oh okay well how about this and then it goes for an 80 yard touchdown the next time now maybe that might be a a, a high bar but I think you know in Boise State uh, you know next month you know we're all going to be looking at each other. if if Florida State loses a yard or two on first down we'll be looking at each other is the 80 yard play coming up now uh, you know we'll call the touchdown play <laughs> exactly but but you know I, I I agree with you Keith and to your broader point. Um, you know, the, the mutual respect, I think, that, that the coaches and players have for each other as competitors, particularly in this case, Marvin, uh, it's obvious they think the world of him. Um, and it's, you know, I, based on what we know, man, I mean, it's, it's extremely well-deserved. I think the players kind of like that. I think, I think Marvin Wilson likes knowing that his coaches respond to him that way. But I think in a weird way, he also likes knowing, I mean, it has to give you some confidence that your coaching staff, and, and you know, he doesn't play under Kendall Bryles, uh, can respond with his own chess move, so to speak, and then that I think that has to give you confidence to know that I mean, you know you guys are on the same team, uh, and you know it's it's you in practice, but it's going to be Boise State or Virginia or Syracuse this fall, and that's got to feel pretty good. Continuing on, Bryles and and Taggart was asked a lot about his his coaching changes, and and Terry was asked about Bryles too, and I, and I heard it from both of them, uh, and it it's the word teaching. Taggart talked a lot about watching. Uh, in, you know, appreciating how Bryles and Clements work together and teach the system in a simple way. And that's basically what Terry said, too. And now, big picture, we mentioned the, the, the ACC meeting that's not specific to FSU. It was a revelation to them that Florida State won't have a, a playbook. And I saw some tweeting about it. I think the takeaway was, oh, Taggart's just totally changed things. There's no playbook without realizing that that's the way Bryles runs his offense and that's the way it's been. But, but the bigger point here is I, I did hear that message come across that, it, that there seems to be great confidence that, that they're teaching more effectively maybe than how this got taught last year. And part of it is it's year two for the players, too. Yeah, for sure. And and to that point, you know, somebody asked Willie Taggart, you know, is it tough because with a new coordinator again, uh, the second in two years, you're essentially starting over again. And he said, no, 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 it's not like that, uh, you know, really at all. I mean, it's, yes, there there are some differences, but the overall, you know, to go from a, a 
pro-style offense to the hurry-up, no huddle uh, is a way bigger jump than going from two different variations of, of the hurry-up. So uh, a lot of what the team and the offense was able to do last year is still useful. Uh, even just knowing what it feels like to go fast and run to the to the line of scrimmage and snap the ball again, uh, you know that that still applies. So uh, you know that to me is a really good thing. And, and one other point I want to touch on, and I think we might have brought this up uh, in the spring, but I think it bears repeating, and especially because Willie Taggart talked about it again today, is the relationship between Kendall Bryles and his offensive line coach Randy Clements, and you know the 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 symbiosis, so to speak, between. The coordinator and the line coach is something that I think is maybe an undervalued or underappreciated uh, dynamic uh, for college football fans who don't realize. And I'll tell you who can make you realize it is Kendall Bryles and Randy Clements because I've heard them both talk about it. Um, you know, your foundation is up front on your offensive line. Um, and you saw last year, if, if that foundation is, is not as solid, you, you don't have a whole lot to build on. Um, and so for Randy Clements and Kendall Bryles, guys who've known each other for a long time, I think Randy Clements said he's known Kendall Bryles since he was a little kid. They've worked together at multiple stops. I mean, those guys are speaking the same language. Uh, you know, and if Kendall calls a play, Randy knows this is what has to happen on this play. You know what I mean? Maybe not everything's perfect, but here's the priority. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, it's really, really important. And so I think, you know, the, the idea of getting those two guys as a, a package deal you know, it's and, and knowing that they have that foundation with each other, I think that, that to me is so much more important than just saying I'm going to get an offensive line coach from here and an offensive coordinator from here and let them figure it out. Um, and so, you know, I think they're really, really excited uh, about that. And, and obviously, I haven't any games played yet, but, you know, hearing things from practice and, and the way things are working, it sounds like that's, that, that's already paying dividends for them. I and mean, look, you saw it, I mean, whatever, but uh, Jimbo Fisher and Rick Trickett have worked together for a long time. And, and that's how that worked out. And so I guess I think that's maybe kind of an undervalued dynamic for a lot of college football fans. But listening to the coaches and the players talk about it, I mean, it's obvious that, that they think it's important. One thing that uh, came out, Tim, I'd be interested in your short comment, is um, the media made a lot. Uh, and, and we've talked a little bit about Florida State lining up in the 3-4. Uh, Willie got asked about that in the breakout session or in the main session. And basically said, well, we we do some three four, but we're not a three four defense. We've not gone to the three four. We we're just putting personnel, whoever's on the field at a particular time, we're trying to line up to their strengths. So it's not like they've moved philosophically. They've just maybe manage their personnel better when they're actually on the field is my takeaway. Yeah, I, I think so too. And there's a lot of talk about a potential move to the three, four. And you know, we saw some three, four looks in, uh, in the spring, but I, I don't think that Florida state is going to be a, you know, a three, four team like the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that that kind of thing doesn't really exist as much in college football anymore. It's not, we're a four, three and you're a three, four and you're a four, you know, it's, it's all very multiple. It's all very, you know, based one on personnel, but two, uh, the, uh, the you know the, the opposing offense. I mean, it's based on what they're doing and what uh, you know you're sort of reacting to that. So, will Florida State have some three-four looks this year? Absolutely, but I think they'll also have some four-three looks as well, and, and probably more than you know more than that. I mean, we've seen how often did they run a base uh, base five defensive back set? I mean, pretty uh, pretty regularly, and I think you'll see that a lot too, uh, dictated basically by the offenses you face in the ACC. Final thought, Tim. ACC Network, much discussion about it in the Commissioner's Forum. Uh, and then I saw that uh, FSU Twitter's already in an outrage because they showed the, the the video and it didn't have Florida State in the video, that, or the animation that was shown. I might have noticed that. 
So, thoughts? Not about that so much, but the <laughs> network in general. I, well, man, look, dude, truly, I think it's going to be really cool. I think for, for, for Florida State fans, I mean, that's, that's going to be a fun thing. Or ACC fans. I mean, you know, the first live event on the ACC network is scheduled to be a Florida State soccer game. So that'll be pretty, uh, pretty cool. The original programming, I think, will be fun to watch. We saw the Bowden Dynasty is going to be included uh, in that. And, man, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I've watched the SEC network. I've watched the Big Ten network before. And, you know, you, you check out a, you know, a Michigan State game from 1988 at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon or whatever. Ah, that's, that's cool stuff. I think it's going to be, uh, be a lot of fun, and I'm really curious to see uh, what it looks like, provided, of course, that, that Florida State is included in the, uh, the broadcast package. That's uh, just a joke, everybody. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's Tim Linnefelt. You can find him on Seminoles.com. We will talk uh, much more extensively about the ACC Network in our next segment when Keith and I come back. It's ACC kickoff going on in Charlotte, and Front Row Knowles rolls on after this. Welcome to the jungle. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, back in Charlotte. Keith and I used the the, uh, break there. To do some due diligence, we went back and watched the graphics reveal that omitted FSU. A, we can confirm it did omit FSU. Uh, And B, I would just say this, and I'm looking at the ACC website right now. You're not going to have a conference website that leaves out member institutions. So I I will put this on the ACC or ESPN. You know, does it bother me hugely? No. But somebody there should pay attention and make sure if you're going to brand this as a network to include all the schools. And also, uh, as we discovered, it begins with basketball and then notes football, even though we're open at immediately prior to the beginning of football season. I guess we're still a basketball conference. And we will have, uh, I'll talk about that uh, momentarily. You'll hear this interview with Amy Rosenfeld, who's a senior coordinating producer, longtime uh, ESPN staffer, really well revered. And it's kind of, it, it, it'll get into the weeds. We've been in the weeds a lot tonight uh, about what the programming looks like. You'll hear that momentarily. But I guess the, the bigger announcement it is, uh, as we get ready to launch here, Keith, is they announced a little bit about their shows, uh, some of the talent that's going to be involved. We already knew EJ Manuel is involved. The ACC Football Network uh, announced teams are Dave O'Brien, Tim Hasselback, and Katie George, Chris Cotter, Mark Herslick, and Kelsey Riggs, West Durham, Roddy Jones, and Eric Wood. Those are the three play-by-play teams uh, that the ACC Network revealed. John Beeson, former Miami linebacker, has been added to the, the mix as a studio analyst. And then in terms of the studio shows, and you'll hear more in this interview about this, but the huddle will be the Friday night main college football preview show being produced on the ACC network there's also an all ACC show and the Bowden dynasty is going to be featured so that's you know we've we've heard a lot about uh, some programming involving 
the, the, the recruiting class that saved Coach K back in 1982, that team that played for a title in 1986 and, and changed the trajectory at Duke, obviously a lot with Clemson being the defending champs, but good to see that the Bowden legacy is, is going to be featured as well. Very much so, and they went into great length during the Commissioner's Forum to talk about while live games are obviously what drives the ACC network, they are committed to doing a lot of behind-the-scenes storylines and development of stories. Uh, they'll replay or go back and revisit and update uh, certain things that have been done previously. Uh, but as you mentioned, one of the things that uh, is in, uh, in the forefront of the announcement is uh, the replaying of the Bowden Dynasty, the movie, uh, which I think folks are going to be very excited to see. You and I have had the opportunity to see it, and some number of our listeners and Florida State fans have, and it's, it's limited release, but this will be out on the network. I'm sure it will play several times. Folks will get an opportunity to see it in depth. So just what will the ACC Network look like, feel like? For more on that, uh, again, I caught up with Amy Rosenfeld, heavily involved senior coordinating producer with ESPN. And uh, take a listen now. This is a, you know, a little bit of what you can expect when the network launches on August 22nd. Amy, to get started, and we were introduced to the look and feel of the network a little bit today, and the word unique was used, and I know you talked about innovation. So I'm curious, you mentioned camera angles, but when you talk innovation, what specific things can you share about how this will look and feel different than maybe what a, a general sports fan is used to seeing? Well, we really want to sort of explore every area of technology, whether it's in on our game coverage or studio coverage. So we talked about unique camera angles. One of the things that we're going to execute for ACC Network is uh, ESPN soccer goalpost cams we're going to bring over to ACC Network. They've never been utilized in a collegiate game. They've never been used in a women's game. Um, Florida State is going to be one of the schools that's going to use the goalpost cams. So, you know, that's an example of where can we push the envelope with access but be additive to documenting the game. We want to be sort of the beta test petri dish for ESPN to try new things. So whether that's miking, putting mics in the ground where they've never been put, playing around with cameras, especially on the Olympic sports, where where can we add cameras on the cross that will improve the viewer's experience? In the studio, what can we do with immersive reality, which is sort of the next level of augmented reality? We want to be very heavy in data and analytics. You know, we view ACC as sort of smartest guys in the room. How do we fulfill that by providing them with some of this tracking technology we're looking at for basketball, where we can really carve out a lot of the sort of next-gen stats in terms of uh, the student-athletes. So that's some of the things we're talking about and really looking to, we're talking to a couple of European companies that haven't done work in the U.S. who are trying to get in. So we've said, hey, we'll experiment with you. So that's sort of the idea. Really uh, a lot of RF. Where can we have remote cameras that aren't tethered to anything to really give that on-the-field uh, feel? And I have to say, the conference has been amazing at pushing the envelope. The football guys have said, we want to be the leaders with the NCAA on access. Where is Florida State in terms of being ready to go at launch? And I say that knowing full well that Florida State has been out in front for years with Seminole Productions. Uh, and, I, you know, I've known Mark Roden and Kirby who are heavily involved for years and years. But give us an idea of, of, of maybe how they measure up across the rest of the league or where Florida State can be better as we go into this. 
not only is Florida State ready to go at launch, Florida State has been producing linear games for ESPN over the last year. So Florida State was one of the first school production groups to actually be producing linear TV for ESPN. So the great benefit here is all the repetition that all of the schools have on the digital side, and now a school like Florida State, who is absolutely one of the leaders in the clubhouse, has had repetition doing linear games and doing tournament games. So we use them for post-season tournaments. So it is that we're on ESPN. And, and ESPN2. So the, the great benefit here is that now we can build on what they're already doing. So, you know, if, if you had told me that at launch we would have had, which is true, 13 of the 15 schools will have done linear games for ESPN. So not only are we ready, we're already doing it. Talk a little bit about how you balance the content, and this may not be specifically you, but in the mind of a fan, they tune in and say, well, it's another night. It's not a Florida State game. It's Clemson or it's whoever. So are there parameters in terms of you can only do X amount of soccer broadcasts of one school or X amount of total broadcasts of one school? How does that lay out? In the name of fan equity, understanding that every fan base sees it as if, well, why is my school not there? Well, ultimately, we want to have the best of the best on as much as possible. However, the great benefit in a bunch of these different sports is uh, the parity. You know, I think about, like, men's and women's soccer, which is sort of my bread and butter, the parity across the conference. So you're going to see a lot of different institutions because a lot of them are good in these sports. I mean, ultimately, uh, there, there isn't sort of a, a lag behind school. I think... Ultimately, our goal will be to program the best games. And the great news is that the other institutions' games will be on the digital side. So we're now in a world where pretty much every game that is played can be accessed and viewed. But we are trying to sort of prioritize the best competition for this national network. So, for example... You know, if I, I didn't go to Florida State, but I know Florida State women's soccer is the best in the country. I'm a soccer fan, so I'm going to watch Florida State because they're the best. So that's sort of the approach we're taking. Give us an overview, and you talked about it in front of the full media setting, of the Friday night and Saturday morning shows during college football. for the. So the Friday night show, what we were thinking is we really don't want to... You know, everyone's doing Saturday. We have a very um, popular show on Saturday called Game Day. SEC has their, their Saturday show. So we thought, what if we carve out a special night for ACC, which would be Friday, and really be able to dig in in a two-hour format and preview everything that's exclusively ACC? We've never had that. The other benefit of Friday is we can really utilize um, the crews that are out at the different games, of which there will be many doing ACC games, not only our guys for ACC Network, but if Luganbill's at an ACC, or even if Luganbill's not at an ACC venue, he can talk ACC. So our ability to really be everywhere, this is sort of our thing. We, we won't be one place, we'll be everywhere. So that's kind of the idea for the two hours and really be able to, chemistry is everything. And if you were in the bar last night, you would realize our guys are pretty good at the chemistry. So we want to have a longer format where, you know, look, we've got 
we've got guys at different disciplines in their career. So, you know, EJ played a different position than Eric, and then we have Coach Rick, and we have Beeson. So being able to have longer conversations on perspective of guys who've lived the ACC will be beneficial. And then the Saturday show is going to be a whirlwind, this idea of just trying to bounce around and give the ACC fan, super serve that fan, what is the feeling on every campus? What's the atmosphere on the field, in the tailgate? What's What kind of access can we get? This idea of a field pass where we can do live look-ins and really give you that you know, get a little bit out of the studio, even though we'll be in the studio, really bring the viewer all over the ACC campuses. And then a final question, and it wasn't really discussed today, uh, and I know football drives the bus and we're in the distribution phase, but given the heritage and the history of, of ACC basketball, I, it, I'm sure, and I know this has been discussed, there's real opportunity to program around that. What, what does that look like? I mean, is there anything you can share about what, what, what that'll look like, just given the passion that goes with ACC basketball? What we have basically said is we will talk basketball all year long. So even though we'll be knee-deep in football season, we are not doing our jobs to serve ACC fans if we are not talking about the best ba college basketball conference. So the idea is that we will have some ways some form of basketball intertwined in all of the football programming throughout the year. Now, our, our runway into the season starting will be much earlier than most. So we're talking about getting heavy into basketball in October. So we'll have a pretty significant overlap of football and basketball. Now, granted, the ACC isn't just a basketball conference, but to your point exactly, you know, how do you not lean into what is, you know, the legacy of this conference? Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Thanks to Amy for her time. And no doubt, Keith, when you have ESPN behind it, I mean, it is, they, they've had a lot of time to plan it. The, despite the omission of Florida State on the graphics reel, reveal, the graphics and the, and the soundtrack, I mean, it, it all looks top flight, and I have no doubts that the network will as well when it gets off the ground. Without question, and I think one of the things that ESPN has done recently um, that has really bolstered their uh, viewership and, and in the eyes of many, even non-sports-related people, you know, the things that they do like 30 for 30 and, the, you know, the between the lines or beyond the lines, that show with Bob Lee, where they, they go in and investigate things and or they go into great detail about life's uh, uh, stories, you know, what, what, what happened to put this team in this position, what happened to that individual that we knew 30 years ago, where are they now? Those types of stories, I think, are going to be great because there are so many wonderful things that go on for the ACC athletes during their four or five years of competition that never get revealed during the competition. And their life stories and the things they've overcome and, and the, their abilities are, are phenomenal and they are just heartwarming, good good feel stories that they're dedicated to bring into the ACC network audience. Okay, we've got one more segment to go. I guess we'll just wrap up again, understanding this was heavy on the ACC network. But frankly, that was the news story today, and, that, and it's been for the last several years. I don't know what we're going to do once the ACC network's off the ground and the revenue lands wherever it lands. I'm not sure what talking point we'll get to next every year at the ACC kickoff. But I will reiterate that the situation is simply this. If you're a Comcast Xfinity subscriber in Tallahassee, as of right now, you won't be able to see 
any of the uh, content on the ACC network. You can't log in and see it. So the only way to fix that is you got to call Comcast and put some pressure on them uh, to, to make that deal happen. Okay, we'll take a break, come back, wrap things up from ACC kickoff here in Charlotte. Stay with us. I was flying. Welcome back. Tom and Keith set to put the wraps on this week's edition of Front Row Knowles. Uh, from ACC kickoff, I'm just trying to tie up some loose ends. A lot of ACC network talk, but but going back to FSU talk, I did think that Marvin Wilson really represented himself well, which is not to say that, that Terry didn't, but Marvin was uh, he's just engaging. Uh, he's a big hulk of a figure, too, not surprisingly. But it was encouraging to hear that he has stepped up from a leadership standpoint. Well, the, the the thing about Marvin is that his play has been very uh, leadership-oriented on the field. He's just not a very vocal guy, and we've talked about that. The Florida State for probably the last five years, maybe seven years, really hasn't had you know those vocal leaders like uh, Telvin and, and uh, folks prior to that. Uh, but Marvin, I think, realizes, recognizes, has been encouraged, told, or otherwise needs to become more vocal, and he's done just that. And as I relayed uh, about that story about him uh, picking on Coach Bryles, uh, he, he's kind of taken it to heart. I think it's a good thing to see. Let's go back to Coach Bryles a little bit. So we mentioned this with Tim. That, that Terry commented he, he brings the swag. I have not had much interaction with Kendall Bryles at all, but the little bit I've had, he does have a, a confidence-slash-cocky edge to him in a good way to me. Now, there's some similarities there to the, to the, how Jimbo was in that regard. Jimbo thinks his offense is the best offense in the history of offenses. Well, when you talk to Kendall, and I've not talked at length with him, you get the same sense that he, he believes in his offense every bit as much. And I think that's something – you know, last year – one of the issues was just being on the same page among the coaching staff, not just the players. And, and I think there's going to be much better cohesion this year. Uh, and and it, it was interesting to just hear all the talk about what Bryles brings and, and how it's being taught to the team. And I think that is a reason for, for real optimism this year. Obviously, they're, they're, they're different people in many ways, talking specifically about Coach Bryles versus uh, Jimbo. But a, a couple of things come to my mind, uh, and I've not spent uh, any time with Coach Bryles. I'm looking forward to having that opportunity. But number one, he impresses me a little bit, and we use the term gunslinger. You know, he'll he'll take some shots down the field. He's not afraid to do that. Uh, the other thing, Tom, and this is a stretch, but he reminds me from a temperament standpoint, and I think our listeners can identify with this, he reminds me of Casey Weldon. You know, Casey was, was very good, uh, runner-up for the Heisman Trophy, but Casey is unbelievably competitive. I mean, to a fault, and 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 would take chances. Sometimes chances maybe that shouldn't be taken because he was that big of a competitor, and that's what Bryles impresses me as. Uh, he he is uh, un, unbashedly uh, focused on explosion plays, big plays, tempo, doing it fast, and he doesn't apologize for any of it. And he thinks he's pretty good at it. And, and the record would say he probably is. 
One thing we didn't mention today, and we're all excited about seeing what this offense looks like. Let's go back to the quarterback thing. We're this far into the show, and we didn't mention that James Blackman's up to 195 pounds, apparently. <laughs> he, he, what did he call himself? He, he was he was skinny strong. I'm a something? different kind of skinny or something. Uh, yeah, something like that. And he really is. But uh, when when he hits that 200 mark, and I got about 40 or 50, I could lend him if he would if he needs some. Yeah, that's that's what I've said for the, from the get go. If you want to put some weight on him, just have him hang out with us, and he'll, he'll get there in a hurry. Um, you know, I, I listened to Taggart talk for a while, and I'm seeing some reports that, that James Blackman was named the starter. Uh, if he if he called him the starter, I wasn't standing there when he said it. I didn't hear him say that. But but really the way he positioned it, it is it, it is a quarterback battle. And I guess you could say that, you know, is Clemson saying it's a quarterback battle this year if the number two guy plays better than Trevor Lawrence? But just about everywhere else, I, I, I mean, it, you know, technically, are they one and two? Probably yes, but I, I do think it will be more of a battle than maybe what we anticipated. This is what I'm trying to say than what we anticipated when we heard that Hornybrook was transferred in because it's 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 been positioned as Blackman, 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 Blackman. I, I think it's a good problem though because Blackman has progressed and Hornybrook adds a, a lot to the mix. So I think it'll be a good competitive battle. You you always need competition, uh, and that was one of the things. You go back and talk to the 13 group, the 99 group, the 93 group. Go back and talk if you want to go back as far back as my time uh you were always pushed uh you know the the best the best friend biggest enemy i had for three years was a gentleman named gary henry because he was number two behind me and he was bigger faster and stronger than i was and he was pushing me and, and i didn't like it during the time but it may be a better player and blackman needs somebody behind him pushing him although by all accounts he's a natural born leader he, he's motivated a self-motivated person but it never hurts to to uh, be looking over your shoulder and having something that you look at you know could take your spot if you fail uh, that breeds competition that makes the team better and it's good to see any other takeaways from ACC Media Day today? should point out that the Media Day is the kickoff continues tomorrow, which will be when the Coastal teams come through. Uh, today was the Atlantic teams. The media is voting on the all-ACC preseason team and the predicted order of finish, but that's not going to be released until Monday and Tuesday. We talked about this with, with uh, Tim or Lane in recent weeks about where FSU will be predicted. I, I think it might be third or fourth actually in the Atlantic which is jarring to think about probably third I think it's going to be Clemson Syracuse and then FSU in terms of the predictor or finish uh, in the Atlantic I'm a little more optimistic uh, and uh, we've stated that you and I got not in a disagreement but we're on opposite sides of the camp I'm hopeful how about that I'm hopeful there's enough Florida State institutional capital that they might sneak sneak in at the number two spot I think on the other side of the ledger is going to be very very important uh, and we'll have the opportunity to visit with those teams tomorrow while we're here in Charlotte. But, you know, is it going to be Virginia? Is it going to be Miami? Uh, is it going to be Virginia Tech? I think not Virginia Tech, but I think between the Cavaliers and the Hurricanes, you've got a pretty good run on the other side in terms of predicted order of finish. So uh, it, it's going to be an interesting season. Uh, Clemson, obviously, the, the hands-down favorite, uh, but um, you never know in this game. That's what's so particular about football. You just never know. One thing we do know is that they'll put on the pads here pretty soon. I mean, another couple of weeks, it'll be fall camp, and we'll get after it. First practice, uh, did I hear people say, is August 2nd? Did I get the date right there for the first practice? I, did, I didn't hear that, but that might be right. That, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's right around the corner. It's here. 
It is here, and so are we in Charlotte, but we are uh, out of time for this week, and uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it. It is always a tease, I've said this, because now, you know, now it's a six, it's a long six weeks until we get to Jacksonville and the Boise State game, but uh, the season is upon us. We've made it through the toughest part, so for Keith, I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again uh, next week right here on Front Row Knowles. No.